So now, as Bill and Ted would say, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have this, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but don't have this, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but don't have this, I gain nothing. This is patient. This is kind. This does not envy. This does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. This does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. This never fails. You know, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when, when, when that end comes, the completion comes, perfection, the eschaton, what is in part will fade away. When I was a child, I thought like a child, I talked like a child, and I reasoned like a child, but when I grew up, I became a man. I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now we see but a reflection is in a mirror, but, but then, no, then we will see face to face. Now we know only in part, but then we will know fully, even as we are fully known. Now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and this. And the greatest of these what this is, is love. At least that's what Paul has to say. The Corinthian church wanted to be spiritual. Oh, this group of people wanted to be spiritual so bad they thirsted for it and prided themselves upon it. And the way they judged who was spiritual and whether they were spiritual was by their gifts. Kind of went like this. There were those gathered 
who were saying something like this. Isn't it true that when God does a spiritual work within me, that when God works in someone, he gives them some kind of spiritual experience, some kind of manifestation, he does something in them and through them that is truly powerful and good and impacts people. Isn't it true that when God works some kind of spiritual gift or work or manifestation in someone, isn't it true that that is unfailing evidence that that person is a spiritual person? And there were others going, wait, it can't be true, can it? That just because God works in someone, just because God gives someone a spiritual experience, just because God lifts someone up where he belongs, (laughs) surely just because God does that, Surely it can't be true that that's unfailing evidence that someone is a spiritual person. And this was the question on the table. And Paul writes into it, in this section of the Bible, and he writes into it and he says this, look, what God is doing among you is good. These spiritual experiences he gives you, they're good. The way that he is working among you, these powers that he is showing within you, the demonstrations of his presence in might that he is orchestrating because of you, this is good. These gifts, they are good. These gifts are from God. But all of them, all of them, whatever they might be, pale in comparison to love. Love, according to Paul, is the greatest sign of what it means to be spiritual. Because love is the way of the Holy Spirit. Love is the fruit of of the Holy Spirit. Love is the evidence that you are devoted to Jesus and seeking to be obedient to God. Everything else will fade. Everything else is transitionary. Love alone reaches across the eschaton from this age into the age to come. Love will remain. Look, you can, you can be someone that when you speak, it impacts people. People have come to Christ through your words. People have been lifted up spiritually and have come to meet God because of you. But if you don't love, it's meaningless. You can be someone who travels around, that people flock to, writing books that people want to devour, 
hanging on your every word. You can write songs that move people, that move churches, that move congregations, that move nations, that create movements in history. But if you don't have love, it's nothing. You can memorize this book from cover to cover in English and Hebrew and Greek. You can know every single word and then master it and language upon language upon language to share with other people. You can even add Quenya and Klingon to the mix in case they come to visit. But if it isn't manifesting itself in love, if love isn't there, it's nothing. You can so radically take Jesus at his word that you leave here today and you give every ounce of what you own away to help the poor. Truly living what it means day by day on dependency of God, praying, give me today my daily bread. You can go full board Francis of Assisi, giving the very shoes off your feet. You can do it all and more. You can give your life for the name of Christ, even going the way of the cross and the way of death. But if you have not love, you've gained nothing. Because what Paul says is that among all things, above all things, what it fundamentally means to be spiritual, the way to practice spirituality, the way to live with the Holy Spirit is rooted and marked in love. Love is what endures. Love is what never ends. Love is the enduring and eternal aspect of God that we touch on now and that continues even beyond the end. The Torah says this, love the Lord your God. Love him with all, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, and I love the Hebrew word here, with all your mood. It doesn't even need to be translated, does it? with your guts and your might and your strength and your fortitude, Jesus teaches that the greatest commandment of all that God has ever given is to love God this way and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells his disciples, love each other. Love each other as I have loved you. And not just the 12, that everyone who is a disciple of Jesus, us sitting here today, love each other as I have loved you. And one of those disciples who was sitting there listening wrote a book of his own. And in it he says this, God is love. And so we find that person 
who has captured our heart, that person who means so much to us, that person that we are so connected with. And what do we do? We are patient and we are kind. And we do not envy or boast what they are experiencing or what they have or what God has given them. We are not proud or rude. We are not self-seeking in the relationship. We are not easily angered. And we keep no record of wrong. We do not delight in evil, but rejoice in the truth. And we protect them. We put our faith in them. We hope for them. We persevere alongside of them. We do not fail them. That's what Paul calls us to do. But it extends so beyond just those who have captured our hearts, those who mean so much to us, those who are so important to us. He writes to this Corinthian body, this church, this gathering of strangers who are coming together in Jesus' name. He writes to you. It's the same message for you. He says you, as you think about each other, you who don't even know each other, gathered in this place. He writes to you that as you treat one another, be patient. Be kind. Do not envy what God is doing in someone else. Do not boast or be proud. No, none of it. Do not be self-seeking. Do not be rude. Do not be easily angered. Keep no record of wrong. Do not rejoice in evil or sin, but rejoice in the truth. Protect one another. Put your faith in one another. Hope for one another. Persevere alongside one another. Do not fail each other. But it even extends beyond that because Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. And so we find that person who makes us mad who we really don't like. That person that bothers us or turns us off. That person that grates us the wrong way. That person that has hurt us. And we are patient. And we are kind. We do not envy or boast we are not proud or rude. We are not self-seeking towards them. 
We are not easily angered by them. And we keep no record of their wrong. We do not delight in the evil we hope that would befall them. But instead rejoice in the truth that God loves them. And in what God wants to give them. We protect them. We trust that God is not finished with them. We hope that God will do a mighty work in them. And we persevere in this. Because love never fails. And so Jesus invites us to take these people in our lives and you know them full well. And to walk with the Spirit in this way. Make no mistake, this is a difficult teaching. It's difficult because we don't see. We don't see others and this world from God's perspective. It's difficult because we only see in part from our limited point of view. It's difficult because we're clouded by our own sin that filters reality and acts as a lens by which we view others in this world. And this is why what Paul writes calls for spiritual maturity. Because when we were kids, we talked like kids and we thought like kids and we reasoned like kids. But God is asking us to grow up. And his spirit is looking to mature us. And so that as we do, we can put the ways of childhood, of spiritual immaturity behind us. I realize that we only know in part and only see in part at best like a reflection in a dim mirror. But someday is going to come when we are going to see more fully. We are going to see others from God's perspective. We are going to see this world through his eyes. When we will know fully as God knows, even as we are fully known by him. And Paul says this is what spirituality looks like. This is spiritual maturity. This is what it means to be a spiritual person and live the way of God's spirit together in your midst. We do it because we want to be spiritual people. We do it because we know that is where the spirit is going and wants to take us. And we want to keep in step with him. We do it. 
Because God loves you. Because God is patient. Because God is kind. Because God does not envy or boast. Because God is not proud or rude. Because God is not self-seeking. Because God is not easily angered. Because God keeps no record of wrong. Because God does not rejoice in suffering and evil in this world. But delights in his truth. The truth of the reality of what he is like and who he is and what he truly wishes to bring. Because God always protects. Because God is always faithful. Because God always hopes. Brings hope and is an object of hope. Because God doesn't give up on you. Because God does not fail. This is the way of the Spirit. And this is truly what it means to be spiritual. No matter what you are seeking in God, looking to experience in God, wanting from God, using to measure if God is working among you, above all things, it's love. That is the most excellent way. What Paul writes is truly, truly spiritual. And so we pray. And we sing. And we meet God in that way because he first loved us. I'd like to invite you to rise. I'd like to invite you to digest the words on the screen. And I invite you to pray it now, today. Lord, you are patient. You are kind. You do not envy. You do not boast. You are not proud. You are not self-seeking. You are not easily angered. You keep no record of wrongs. You do not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. You always protect, always hope, always persevere. You do not fail. Holy Spirit, help me to love like you. May that be your ongoing prayer.
Holy Spirit, help me to love like you. God, help me to love like you. You who want to be spiritual, may it be your ongoing prayer, God. Oh God, because I know I don't. Help me. Help me to love like you. God's love is deeper and higher and wider, as Paul will write in another letter, than anything we can imagine. God's love flows like a never-ending river, like a waterfall. Torrents being poured out upon us. May you bask and revel in God's love. May it impact you and transform you and change you. May it lift you up when you live in doubt. May it encourage you when you start to falter. May it bring life and vitality to the relationships you have. May it mark your demeanor with those you hate. May you learn to love like God.